Gumbo listeners, this episode is brought to you in part by Is your business prepared for disruptions caused by severe weather, user errors, or ransomware attacks? With Quorum, you are ready. And your business won't miss a beat when the world around you seems to be falling apart. Visit Quorum.com, Q-U-O-R-U-M.com for more information. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Here's your host, Demetrius Marlborough. Today we have a fantastic episode lined up for you with Josh Stevens, and he is a 30-year veteran of the industry and also serves as Chief Technology Officer at Backbox. And before Backbox, Josh was part of the founding team at SolarWinds. He also led product strategy and also marketing at Itential, and is also a decorated veteran of the U.S. Air Force. Also, Josh is an investor and board director to several companies within the IT infrastructure and cybersecurity spaces. So warm welcome for you, Josh. Welcome to the gumbo. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice. Well, I am super excited for this conversation. And why don't you start off by giving the listeners a quick rundown of Backbox? Sure. Backbox is a network automation company. Founded in Israel a little over 10 years ago, uh, and about about a year and a half ago, we moved headquarters to the U.S. We took on a round of financing to grow the business. You know, we are a leading network automation platform, servicing uh, technology service providers and enterprise customers around the globe. Awesome. So network automation, and w- would that mean that your primary persona would probably be on the DevOps side of the house? Is that correct? For us, the primary persona is on the network operations side of the house. So they're going to be a network administrator, a network engineer. Uh, maybe a VP or director of network operations. But the problems that our products solve is automating those tasks associated with the maintenance and management and, and normal operations of a high-end sort of enterprise or trusted network. Mm. And so that's really where we specialize. Okay. And I'm sure you have lots of conversations just around some of the complexities on on scaling because we are talking enterprise companies and uh, trying to protect, you know, workloads and the network is actually the device or the mode of transportation for hackers and literally anyone without the network and without network operations, none of this would be possible. So wh- what are you hearing? Well, what's the number one thing that you hear from these different personas in network operations when it pertains to what you do? The number one thing that I hear from customers and just experts I know in the industry at large is that they're overwhelmed with work. They're understaffed. Uh, their staff is typically undertrained because they don't have time to attend training. And when they look at what they're trying to accomplish throughout the year, they realize that there's four or five X as much work as there, is, as there are days in the year to go accomplish that work. And so a product like ours really helps those teams scale very rapidly. And to, to bring a finer point to it, you know, based upon the, the thing you mentioned earlier around security, nowadays, 
network devices, routers, switches, access points, firewalls, IDSs, IPSs, they need to be updated very frequently. 30 years ago as a network engineer, we would update those devices once or twice a year when we really needed to because updates could be dangerous. They oftentimes would cause downtime and they can be really complex and time consuming. Today, with the number of cyber attacks happening around the world, the number of CVEs being identified by hardware vendors, um, you can no longer do those updates annually or semi-annually. Many of our customers do them weekly. And if you're trying to upgrade, you know, a thousand Cisco firewalls or Juniper switches or Fortinet devices this weekend, that's a lot to do at once by hand. And so automating that with a robust workflow that allows you to automate other tasks associated with the upgrade, which might include rerouting traffic and validating connections and things like that, allows that team to focus on other uh, more important items while the automation is happening in the background. Okay. And you, you mentioned something that now I am familiar with it. I'm not sure that the Gumbo listeners are familiar with CVEs. I don't recall what that acronym stands for. It's maybe common vulnerability, something. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm completely wrong. But tell me about CVEs and, and why is that important? And I know I'm kind of nitpicking on, on one little specific thing, but maybe a little more insight around that. No, it's great. It's, very, it's a great question. So CVEs or critical vulnerabilities and exploits, these are basically, or I might be wrong, but uh, these are basically <laughs> bugs, bugs that are identified within the software running on a host. It could be a router or a switch or a server or a laptop or whatever you're working with. This basically means that a bug has been identified that leaves open a hole for a hacker to attack, whether that's an open port or some kind of vulnerability on a, on a Java stack, for example, on maybe a web app. These CVEs tell you that these are critical problems, critical vulnerabilities that could be exploited by an attacker that you need to patch or upgrade to solve for. In some cases, you can't patch or upgrade immediately for various reasons. You may have a compatibility issue, for example. And so you may have to make other mitigation steps to protect yourself from that vulnerability being exploited in the meantime. Uh, and so that means that you may have to automate configuration changes to navigate around CVEs, and then you automate the upgrades to extinguish the CV. Mm, okay. So having some type of automation workflow that maybe consumes the CVEs, because I am assuming that CVEs are published randomly. You never know when a CVE is created. You never know. Right? It could be any moment, right? Exactly right. And you may miss some CVEs. And I know there are tools out there. Uh, what is it? Quarles? Qualis is one. Qualis. Um, Rapid7 has a great uh, okay. vulnerability management system, Microsoft, Google, any of the security stack companies are going to offer a vulnerability manager. Mm -hmm. Most of those are oriented around endpoint protection because that's the largest attack surface in most organizations. For network infrastructure, uh, you'd want to use a product like DeviceTotal. Shout out to Carmit and the team there. It's a great product. Mm -hmm. um, or you may want to simply use the... Uh, national uh, vulnerability database, which gives you a way to look up the current version of software you're running, for example, on a Cisco router, and see the known vulnerabilities associated with that. The reality of the world we live in today is that you are going to have CVEs present within your environment 
because there's no way to upgrade fast enough to get rid of all of them. And so what you've got to be able to do is to be able to look at those CVEs, all the different software versions in your enterprise, and then prioritize those updates, patches and configuration changes based upon risk factors associated with that. So you might start out by saying, well, show me all of the Cisco firewalls with this known critical vulnerability um, that are adjacent to a public internet connection and within two hops of accounting or a finance system. Those are super critical. So we're going to upgrade those first. Now show me the ones that are three hops from the net, from the internet and associated with the HR team or something like that. Um, so CVEs are, you know, a, a, a reality we have to deal with every day. But the key here is how do you mitigate? How do you plan around them? How do you plan upgrades? And how do you prioritize if you're a large service provider um, who's managing on behalf of your customers, those networks, or even a large enterprise with, you know, four or five, 10,000 network devices. And I'm not talking about laptops. I'm talking about switches, routers, firewalls. Um, you know, how, how do you do that? Those upgrades are, are a lot more complex than upgrading a laptop or a server. You can't throw an agent on network equipment. So you've got to have an automation platform that knows how to speak to them in some sort of native protocol, either via API or SSH or whatever that vendor supports. Hmm. Man, I had about 15 different questions that flew in and out of my head. I As talk you, a lot, so it's man, my Man, no, no, no. This is, this is great stuff because I guess the last question that landed in my brain was just around, you mentioned scale. And you said, yeah, two hops from accounting or three hops from accounting. That's all network speak. So operations, yes, that's something that they would talk about in a conversation with maybe one of their peers, right, when they're talking about changing, making a change or updating a system. But I want to talk a little bit about, like, the difference between networks. So, you know, I am on the backup and recovery side. So sending data uh, across a, a backup network, and back in the day, it used to be a SAN or storage area network uh, that we used to actually configure and architect for a backup solution. But What's the difference between a, a dedicated backup network and let's just say a, another network and especially like the devices that they're running on? What, what's some of the similarities or, or differences between these devices or networks and also separating or maybe keeping them the same? Tell me, what, what do you think? You know, in today's modern network infrastructure, those smaller, more specialized networks like for storage area networks and the larger less specialized networks, say for end user machines, they're often connected to the same network infrastructure, the same routers and switches, and then they're, they're segmented off with VLANs uh, and put on separate, separate segments. And so both of those are super important because you may have CVEs that only apply to scenarios like uh, network attached storage or SANs, where the CVE is related to the software on the SAN that provides an exposure to get to the network. So it, it can be complex, but usually those networks are all managed and maintained by a network team. And then they're working with those stakeholders from the storage team, the data center team, you know, the IT support team for end users. Um, and that's typically how those guys do that. And also, I'm really curious, too, about, I guess, some of the trends that the Gumbo listeners should pay attention in this space, because there's a lot of conversation around 
on-premises and how, you know, it's legacy and it's old and it's traditional, but we have the cloud now and it's super sophisticated and we have containers and we have these workloads running in these containers. And it's almost like people just get amnesia after they move workloads into the cloud. Oh yeah, we have data that's there, but it's covered, right? Microsoft is protecting it or AWS is protecting it or Google is protecting it because it's just in the cloud. What are some of the trends that that you are seeing as it pertains to network automation that the Gumbo listeners should be aware of? Well, you're right. A lot of people are moving to the cloud. And while it's easy to build in the cloud in a modern cloud native format with containers and serverless apps and things like that, Usually what people do is they will migrate uh, in a lift and shift fashion first. They'll say, look, yes, we want to rebuild to be cloud native, but we also want to just move certain assets from a data center into the cloud right away. And whether you're working in a containerized sort of cloud native environment or more of what you call a legacy environment where you virtualize that infrastructure and move it to the cloud, In both cases, you still have a network connecting all of those nodes and securing those devices. Even in a container, there are are network attributes, virtual router switches and firewalls occurring inside that container with amongst those hosts. And so the key here is that, you know, it's, it's great to focus on host level security and data security. We have to do that. But if you don't protect the network, if you don't protect the perimeter, then you know, you're leaving your doors open and anyone can come in and, and begin to attack you. A good perimeter security strategy negates the vast majority of attacks that are going to come towards your enterprise. So you've got to do both. One of the other trends to watch out for is there's a big focus today on enabling or empowering uh, cybersecurity teams, especially in a security operations center, to do very, very rapid response, uh, detection and response of security events. And that's very powerful, very important, and a must-have. But it's a reactionary type defense. You're waiting to be attacked, you're waiting to see the exposure, and then you're remediating it. What automation platforms like Backbox do is they do proactive security. We're proactively going out, improving the network security hygiene, hardening the perimeter, so that hopefully less and less of those attacks will actually get through. So think about the way that typical ransomware works, right? Uh, A phishing email gets sent to Betty in accounting. They click on the email and open it, and maybe they click a link to a file. Well, the firewall should block that outbound request to go grab that file. If it doesn't, then it's going to attempt to download a payload or the actual malware. That payload should be blocked at the firewall or at an intrusion detection system or IDS or IPS. If it's not, The packet signature needs to be updated. That's done with an automation platform. Once it gets through down to the device, is it able to spread laterally? Will will that malware spread from one user to the next user? Not if the routers and switches on that network are doing their job and securing that that internal perimeter. And so you've got to really think about all the different attack exposures you have and how you can limit that. Because the goal here is to be notified when you're being attacked, right. but for all of those attacks to fail before you have to deal with them. Wow, that was that was great. I really love your your answer there, and um, it, it just truly shows your your expertise in this area. 
Uh, so Backbox is is uh, very fortunate to have you you on staff there. Um, well, I'm fortunate to be here. It's a great company and I, a great team. I love it here. A- absolutely. And, you know, maybe one other question, one or two, two more questions before we begin to, to close out this episode. Um, I was also thinking that just from a SaaS or software as a service perspective, and I'm seeing more startups pop up in the security uh, landscape, uh, even API security. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any thoughts around the different vectors, right? Because you did mention different attack vectors. Mm-hmm. That's right. And APIs, because companies have hundreds of SaaS applications that they have access to that they've acquired and most of them they're probably not even sure that they're not even protecting that data inside of them because they are thinking that it is protected and this is that whole shared responsibility model conversation that seems to be we're beating the drum but it's getting a little old and tiring to continue to beat that drum is there a difference from the rollout and the i guess extrapolation of more and more SaaS applications. Is that causing more harm just from a network perspective, uh, I guess from the perspective of maybe bringing data into the perimeter versus out of the perimeter? I guess what I would say is this. Um, those types of moves at surface level are very positive, right? We, we all want to have applications with publicly exposed APIs that our consumers can access. Um, the challenge is that because all of these IT teams, whether you're the API team, the network team, the desktop support team, they're all understaffed and overworked. And, and none of, nobody has enough time in the day to go back and fix the things that they left partly done. And APIs are a great example of something that oftentimes companies will compromise on security in order to get something done rapidly to solve an op- a business opportunity. So Company A wants to build a partnership with company B. This partnership is strategic to the business. They need an API to make it work. They go build this API. They expose it for company B. They get it worked and everybody's happy. And they kind of knew they needed to come back and secure that later, but nobody ever did. And and what I would tell you is that there's this trade-off between ingenuity and operations where you have to balance how far forward you can lean with how much you can lean on automation to go back behind you and clean up that work. I don't see a way beyond this other than automation. It doesn't matter whether you're a network operations team, a DevOps team, a DevSecOps team, IT ops. Automation is the only way forward because there is way more work out there to do than we can possibly do. And by the way, the bad guys, they're using automation to attack you. They're using automation to try to detect what type of gear you have and what CVEs you might not be patching against that they might use to attack you successfully and get to your data or your users. So the key there is that you've got to have a strategy for securing those things, but you also have to have a strategy for how you're going to get a giant amount of work done with a tiny, very highly skilled and very valued team. All right. And uh, Josh, one final question. If you were to use chat GPT to help with network automation, what would that line be? What would you write in the box for chat GPT to do to help you or help a customer or a listener with network automation? It's a really good question. I think that for most listeners and for most people out there that are getting into automation, 
what you want to ask ChatGPT are what are the most common tasks to automate and then name your environment for Cisco networks, for Fortinet firewalls, for Palo Alto devices, um, because you need a way to prioritize that automation work you're going to do. Um, where do you start? Is it backups? Is it upgrades? Is it is it provisioning? How do you attack this? It's, it's, a, it's a giant realm of work that could be done, but you know, use ChatGPT to tell you, hey, this is what the community's consensus is on best practice for where to start. And I don't even know if ChatGPT can even do any of this stuff. This is just me trying to be funny here. Um, it can. I've already <laughs> played with it. it really? It, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is this is interesting. And I guess you, you first have to to be able to get, get access because I, I continually get the, the message that the server is loaded, come back later. Uh, and then I realized the workaround is to go to the playground uh-huh. uh, where you can do you can do some of the things in the playground that you that you can do in the actual chat GPT, but not as much. So, yeah. And I got uh, lucky. I did my work early before it got popular, so it wasn't quite <laughs> so so overwhelmed. Right, right. And so uh, also, yeah, I appreciate you you sharing your insight and your your input on data protection gumbo. How can the gumbo listeners follow you? They can catch me on the backbots.com. We have uh, webinars that we commonly do out there. I also have a podcast called Capital Geek. Um, ah, so there's okay. lots of ways to catch me. We have a nice. blog at backbots.com as well. So um, all those ways are easy ways to get to me. You can always connect to me on LinkedIn, uh, Josh Stevens at Backbox. I'd love to hear from you. I, my favorite part of my job is talking to customers and helping people solve problems. So don't be shy about reaching out if you've hit a wall and you need some help thinking about your network automation strategy, we'd be glad to lend you a hand. If we're a fit, I'd love to sell you some product, but I promise I, that won't be my motivation on the call. I, I really do want to help as a community leader, and I think that having been a network engineer for 30 years now, these people are near and dear to my heart. If you need a hand, reach out. Happy to help. Well, awesome. I appreciate you being a guest on Data Protection Gumbo, and remember, Gumbo listeners, Uh, Data Protection Gumbo is a a super informative place for you to gain insight into data protection, backup recovery, storage, and security. So see you next time.